This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Chinese telecom Huawei announced earlier today it will be investing $1.5 billion in its developer program over a five-year period. The company is holding its flagship event in Shanghai this week and looking towards its future. The Chinese tech sector as a whole has grown rapidly in the last two decades. Now we routinely talk about how advancements being made by companies like Huawei, WeChat, Baidu, Tencent, and others as well impact have the impact on the global economy. At the same time, China and the U.S. are battling to be the leader in 5G technology, a fight that it seems Chinese tech companies are winning. A new book looks at what led these Chinese firms to be so dominant in areas ranging from telecommunications to artificial intelligence to e-commerce. It is titled Tech Giants of China, How China's Tech Sector is Challenging the World by Innovating Faster, Working Harder, and Going Global. The author is journalist and Silicon Dragon Ventures founder Rebecca Fannin, who joins us right now. Rebecca, welcome. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for your time today. And obviously there's a a lot at play when you talk about the United States and China right now. And and obviously a lot of what you talk about in the book deals with this. But first at the outset, obviously the announcement by Jack Ma that that he is stepping aside at Alibaba. Give us your thoughts on on the, the potential impact of that move. Well, Alibaba is losing a visionary co-founder from 20 years ago, and that is very hard to replace. There's a successor in in already named, but this person doesn't have the personality, the charisma of Jack Ma. He's not on the world stage like Jack Ma is. So I think Alibaba, yeah, look, it's going to lose some impact on the world stage, but I think that they've named a successor who's very good at business, at strategy, at business. And executing on the plan. So we'll see. What about the, the the state of the trade war right now between the United States and China? Well, look, uh, some of it comes down to soybeans and pork, yeah. uh, which seems to be what America is exporting to China. But uh, the U.S.-China trade war, uh, it is still ongoing. I don't see it being resolved anytime soon. Uh, what is happening is that the U.S. consumer is going to end up paying higher prices on goods that we import from China. Many, many, many things that we import from China, uh, cell phones, uh, you know, a lot of consumer goods as well. And you have the the issues surrounding intellectual property and, and obviously for some U.S. companies, access to the Chinese market as well. We do. Uh, intellectual property theft uh, is an ongoing issue. Um, but look, U.S. companies really need the China market. Uh, it's a huge market. It's still growing very fast. And uh, U.S. companies really need that market access. Uh, it's hard to replace with any other country in the world. Well, I, I can't think, going back in my time uh, in following these types of, of events, that, that that this is really, it feels like, the first time that, that the United States has had somewhat of a challenger, like what we're seeing coming from China in a lot of these tech areas. That's right. I do see this tech titans of China playing out as a global challenger to the U.S., and it is the first time that the U.S. has had a global challenger 
to this tech economy that has evolved. How is it that that the tech sector in China has been able to develop, and I guess it's been, what, yeah. about a decade or so, to develop so quickly? Right. Well, some of it has to do with venture capital investment, and some of that venture capital investment has come from Sand Hill Road right here in the U.S., uh, funded by our pension funds, our universities, our endowments, our family offices. So some of it has to do with venture capital, but I think um, a lot of it has to do with China's own entrepreneurial culture. Uh, it's innovating very fast. It's moving very swiftly. Uh, they are uh, working nonstop, 996. Uh, China's entrepreneurs and the tech sector is just very ambitious. It's unstoppable. It, it seems like if you're talking about the Chinese sector, that you could use the word social on quite a few of the components. Obviously, e-commerce, which has a social component to it, but but then the social media elements as well that are involved in China. So that, that word social, I think, plays a very important role in how China is building out what seemingly is is trying to be a very influential global player right now. That's true. When you look at social media, Social commerce. Uh, social commerce is all about online shopping and sharing and prizes and games. Uh, it's a business model that we really don't have in the U.S. So social commerce has come on very strong. There's a company called Pinduoduo, which uh, went public in New York last year and has gone to be one of these tech giants in just three years' time. They're already the world, the China's second largest e-commerce player, and they've developed this whole new business model around social commerce. We're joined by Re Rebecca Fannin, who is the author of the book Tech Titans of China. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, do you think then where we stand right now, it feels like there are areas where the U.S. is behind China? And I, I think we can throw 5G as, as one of the important mm -hmm. areas where that uh, where that may play out right now. Mm -hmm. But is the U.S. going to be behind China, at least for the foreseeable future? 5G is one of those clear battlegrounds. Uh, and Huawei is the number one telecom equipment operator. And... The U.S. is not allowing Huawei equipment to be sold into the U.S. And so this is going to be an area that the U.S. needs to catch up in. Um, and right now, the U.S. doesn't have a 5G player. The, the main players are Huawei and ZTE from China, plus Nokia and Ericsson. So the U.S. is kind of left out, and right. China is outspending us on 5G wireless infrastructure and those towers that need to be built. So 5G is coming very soon, and, uh, yeah, this is going to be one one area to watch. Well, in order to catch up to China, can we have an expectation of the U.S. catching up to China if they are continuing at this somewhat breakneck pace in terms of their development in various elements of tech right now? Well, it's a big question. Uh, the U.S. needs a policy that can address this China um, rise in technology. Uh, China has top-down government directives that are 
propelling China forward in all kinds of technology sectors. Uh, the Made in China 2025 has designated time periods where China is going to lead globally in certain sectors. And the U.S. really does not have anything that's the equivalent to that. Of course, it's a totally different um, governmental system. But the U.S. needs um, the muscle behind our you know, technology prowess. Uh, the U.S. is still the world's leader, but China is coming up very fast. There are a couple of other areas you talk about in the book that I wanted to, to touch on, one being electric vehicles, which obviously is a, is a topic that's discussed a lot here in the United States. And, and EVs are, are, are seeing some growth, but probably not at the rate we are seeing uh, in other parts of the world, specifically China right now. It feels like that, that China has had a buy-in to the role that EVs can play in their culture and how important they can be for their economy overall. This is true. Um, electric vehicles are being adapted more quickly, adopted more quickly in China than in the U.S. And we see entire cities with their bus fleets that are electric, such as in Shanghai, such as in Shenzhen. And the U.S. needs to catch up with this electric vehicle sector as well. China has 40 new electric vehicle makers that have come on the scene. Some of them have already gone public in the U.S. For instance, NEO, which is has been called a Tesla killer. Right. Uh, but, uh, there are others, such as Xpeng. And these companies are funded by a very large uh, technology companies, such as Alibaba, such as Tencent, such as Baidu. And they are also started by technologists, serial entrepreneurs, not automakers. So this gives China a real um, advancement. You mentioned a little bit ago uh, about the impact that, that VC is playing uh, over in China right now. Just how much of an impact? What, how can, can, can you measure it in terms of how much development we have seen in the China tech sector because of the investment coming from the United States? Oh, it's tremendous impact. And the spending of venture capitalists in China is almost equal to the spending in the U.S. So these fields uh, are almost on par, uh, U.S. and China. Uh, China has most of these startups that have come forth uh, that have become tech titans were funded originally by venture capital. And they scaled up really fast. They got into a lot of new sectors. Uh, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent are no longer just in their original search, e-commerce, and gaming areas, but totally other new areas that are impacted by technology. And they went public. They went public either in Hong Kong or New York, and they've scaled up. Um, and you're continuing to see lots of venture capital going into China, creating startups, the startup culture is very alive and well in China. Not that we would expect that that we would, and obviously the the trade war playing out uh, uh, plays a role in this right now. But not that we would be able to expect uh, total partnership between the two sides, but. You can imagine if there was a way to have further partnership, and, and obviously some companies rely, as you said, on the uh, on the Chinese market, Apple being one of them, uh, the, the potential for unbelievable growth uh, of companies on both sides of the Pacific Ocean if you were able to, to kind of break down some of these barriers between the two sides. 
Correct. Uh, and China has been investing in U.S. technology companies. They have invested in Uber, Lyft, Magic Leap, Tesla, um, and many other technology startups in the U.S. Uh, in the meantime, uh, U.S. has been funding uh, Chinese startups. Uh, at the same time, we've seen a lot of collaboration and cooperation in Silicon Valley, where U.S. and China investors group together, and they go behind the startup. They, they push it forward. And so I'm beginning to see a separation of this long-time collaboration and cooperation, which I think is unfortunate because I will think it will all, all in, eventually slow down global innovation. Was there something specific, going back to the, uh, to the VC for a second, was there something that, that these VCs were seeing, even in the early stages uh, that that made them believe that investing in China was, was a component that they needed to have, and maybe to a degree over investing in Silicon Valley. Right. Well, look, uh, you have to look at the impact of Alibaba. That was funded by some Silicon Valley investors, and they made a lot of money on that. Same thing with Baidu uh, and some of the other original Internet startups. That was in the first generation. Now we're seeing a whole new group of newcomers coming up, that, such as Tutiao, the 15-second video app, um, Meituan, the super app, uh, DD uh, in car hailing or taxi hailing, and um, Xiaomi, the smartphone maker. These companies, and since time in AI, these comp- companies are funded by, by uh, venture capitalists uh, in the West and also from other places such as Japan, SoftBank is a major player. Yet with seemingly all all of this growth that, that these companies are enjoying right now, many of the stories coming out talking about the Chinese economy talk about it slowing down. And, and there have been some questions, and we've talked about it on this show, uh, of just how much you can rely on the growth numbers coming out of China, whether or not you know there is an, a a boost given by the uh, by the government, but mm-hmm. still the the growth numbers that they are seeing are still enviable if those numbers mm-hmm. are truly on point. Oh yeah, they are. Um, there's really been no country that's come up like this um, over the past fifteen years so fast and become the world's second largest economic power in very little time. One of the other areas you talk about are, are drones and robots. And, and I'd love to get your thoughts on, on how the development of those technologies is moving in China as well. Yeah, I do write about a company. It's a startup uh, based in Shenzhen, southern China, just across the border from Hong Kong called DJI. And it's the world's leading drone maker. Uh, they make drones for all kinds of purposes for consumers, hobbies, you know, filming weddings, uh, to doing uh, agricultural um, uh, oversight and many other uses as well. But DJI is the world leader in drones, and they have a 75% market share. There's another company that I write about in the book, too, called Ahang, which is doing a drone where you can fly in it. It's kind of a helicopter drone. (laughs) So that's one to watch. What is the state of entrepreneurship in China? Uh, it's it's on the go all the time. 
Where 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 is the where is the I mean obviously some of these companies that that we have talked about you know ended up they were startups uh, you know a long time ago but for you know is it is it a a platform that continues to grow and you see companies popping up all the time you do. Uh, there are a lot of incubators and accelerators in China, just like there are in the Western world, uh, Silicon Valley, New York, and uh, other hubs, uh, Austin, for instance, Seattle. You see these uh, incubators uh, creating new startups and funding them. And I think uh, you see a lot of co-working spaces, too, where startups are hanging out. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of conferences, a lot of forums where exchange of ideas among entrepreneurs. Uh, information moves really quickly in China through WeChat, the messaging app that's ubiquitous. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, the information flow is one of the things that I think uh, really has helped China's tech startups to develop. We're joined on the phone by uh, Rebecca Fannin, who is the author of the book Tech Titans of China, how China's tech sector is challenging the world by innovating faster, working harder, and going global. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You also uh, dive into uh, the ride-sharing and ride-hailing uh, business uh, of Didi, uh, in China, and, and obviously the comparisons with Uber. How strong is that company in China in comparison to what we know of Uber right now, which obviously has a huge valuation, but is still not a a, a profitable company? Right, DD is still private. Um, but the interesting thing about DD and Uber is that they were in a fight for the market in China. And Didi, the local competitor, local Chinese competitor, actually won that fight and ended up taking over Uber's business in China and folding it into Didi. So now <laughs> there you have this giant uh, ride-hailing company in China. It really just dominates the market. And eventually it will go public. But, um, you know, I think maybe not immediately. What is the state of the chip market in, in China? Because we see a variety of companies here in the U.S., as you said b before, that are reliant on getting some of these elements from China right now. Right. Well, this is an area that China needs to improve in, is this whole chip semiconductor area. The U.S. and other markets, Korea, Japan, have the leadership in these areas. And China is advancing but uh, their chips are not as, um, what should we say, not as advanced as what we see in the West. So they're working on this. This is one of the things that is in the policy of the Made in China 2025, that they're going to catch up in these core technology areas. How much, how much influence and support is there from the, the Chinese government towards these companies? There's definitely influence um, in this the state-owned companies, and then there are these privately financed venture capital-backed companies that have gone public now. Those leaders of those companies, uh, such as Alibaba, you look, they, in some parts, need to answer or feel that they should answer to the Chinese government. And so you do see uh, situations where, you know, there is influence. Um, and you do see the Chinese government also regulating these technology companies, just like we have in the U.S., where they regulate, 
for 10 cent games. Um, they regulate the number of hours that kids can play games, the, mm-hmm. when they can play games. Uh, so you do see, and they've also regulated some of this whole clickbait content that has become so pervasive in China with the mobile apps. You know, clickbait content that just, you know, it's kind of racy or, or, you know, gets a lot of clicks immediately. And so they, they've cracked down on some of these things. So, you, yeah, the government is the overriding influence, I think. You also uh, bring up WeWork. Uh, in your book, and, and that's a, a company we just talked about uh, on the show. And, and there, there is a level of success that WeWork has had in China that maybe they haven't found yet here in the United States, and, and maybe it's part of the reason why uh, the IPO here in the United States keeps getting pushed back. Right. Well, China's a huge market uh, opportunity for WeWork, and I've been to several of the WeWork facilities in Shanghai and Hong Kong and in Beijing. And in fact, my group, Silicon Dragon, has even held events at WeWork in China. But uh, I think, uh, look, uh, it's a wide open opportunity uh, field in China today. Whoever gets there first can dominate that market. So I think WeWork is in there. They're racing for it. There are local competitors, uh, such as Ucommune, a company that I profile in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it's really interesting because some of them have really uh, gone to technology advances within these co-working facilities that we don't really have here in the U.S., such as using facial recognition to sign in. You, you don't you don't sign a paper. Look, you get your face recorded and you're allowed entrance. Um, so uh, this is a company, Ucommune, they're doing that in China. Of course, facial recognition is much more uh, prevalent in China than it is here in the U.S. LinkedIn is another company, U.S. company, uh, or I should say is one of the rarer U.S. companies, that, that, that still is working in China. When you think about mm-hmm. uh, contact and social media, we talked about you know some of the brands that, that have been that have had to either back out or been held out of China. What is it specifically about LinkedIn that, that they have been able to, to continue to move forward and grow in that country? Well, it has to do with about business professional networking. Uh, so it's not the kind of exchanges that you might see on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. LinkedIn is wide open in China. And, in fact, when I go to China, which I do regularly, I'll use LinkedIn uh, a lot when I'm in China. I also use WeChat uh, in China quite a bit. Uh, but LinkedIn is still going and has persevered in this very competitive marketplace in China. Um, I do think LinkedIn still struggles somewhat to get to the local Chinese community. It's more popular with mm-hmm. the expat community in China. Are there the concerns around social media in China that we've seen play out here in the last year or two here in the United States? Concerns around social media, well, such as the clickbait content? And, and, or, and what we've seen uh, with Facebook and, and sharing of data oh, and, and, and all of uh, that. Right, right. Yeah, that's very interesting because uh, the WeChat system already has that group sharing uh, and the private group sharing. That was already baked into WeChat, and then Facebook copied it. 
right. copied that element of WeChat and put it within Facebook uh, as a, as an option. So I think the whole privacy concerns in China are not as pronounced uh, as they are in the U.S. Uh, it's not it's not something that uh, the average Chinese citizen, uh, you know. Uh, ponders a lot. Last thing for you before we go, you even talk about the fact that that these battles between the the U.S. and China in various areas, they go even all the way down to the coffee level. Oh, they do. Starbucks is in a race for the market in China. Starbucks has been in China for many, many years, and 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 they're on almost every street street corner, but they now have a new challenger called Luckin. Um, And uh, it's the coffee does not taste as good as Starbucks, but it's a little little less pricey and it's very convenient. Um, it's on-demand coffee, you know, by mobile app and scooter delivery directly to your office. Now Starbucks is having to copy that model of instant delivery or on-demand delivery, yeah. and they partnered with Alibaba to do that. Rebecca, thanks very much for your time. Uh, great job with the book, and good luck uh, with the success of it moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca Fan, and the book is Tech Titans of China. Uh, it is available in bookstores and online for your purchase now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.